Welcome to That's Podcasting, a movie musical podcast. Is it still a movie boozical podcast at this point? Mm, this is what we're going to have to talk about today, uh, Paul. I, I'm Cody Pasby, by the way. I'm Paul Ponte, and, and I interrupt Cody. This week, yes, as you mentioned, Paul, look, it was spooky season. A few uh, now, you know, going on over a month ago. So some people might be kind of upset that we're talking about this movie. But we're here today to put this debate to rest, really, because it is the beginning of the holiday season. Uh, Happy holidays to one and all. We'll be talking about a lot of uh, the great holiday musicals, some new holiday classics. Uh, There are a lot, actually, enough that we could probably do a holiday-themed month in December, I don't know, at least for a good three, four, five uh, Christmases, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa's, solstices in a row. Uh, But I think we have to start with this one, which, again, could have been in our spooky season. But uh, I'm here to say that 1993's The Nightmare Before Christmas is a Christmas movie that happens to have Halloween elements in it. It is a story about Christmas. It's not a story about Halloween. It's a story about a, about how a guy who is a Halloween guy wants to celebrate Christmas. It's not about Santa being like, ooh, let's go to Halloween Town. No, then it would be a Halloween movie. It's not that. It's a Christmas movie. So get over it. Paul? Are you telling me? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, Paul. We had a big fight before this. The fact that we're even recording this is nothing short of a miracle. I'm, I was going to say, I mean, like, all this energy you're bringing towards me, I'm just like, what's this? What's this? <laughs> uh, by uh, the way, I uh, hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. You took Thanksgiving off, and uh, yeah, it's it's the holiday season now. I'm ready for some cheer. I, yes. I, I really needed some holiday cheer this year. I think we all do. So, uh, nice way to start things off with, I think, what is definitely uh one of the most popular movies we have covered so far and i mean we've covered really big movies so far but this one has truly taken on a life of its own yeah this one if if it were half the movie it is i would probably if it was okay i would hate it purely because the hot topification of it all has if the movie wasn't actually good and it was just all right, I would despise it purely because of how many stupid Jack Skellington beanies I've seen in my life. Purely out of spite. I 100% yeah. agree. It's, it's I, It can be really easy to be super spiteful of this movie, to hate it just based on principle. Just the fact that so many people are obsessed with it, that it's you're inundated with it, not just for Christmas, but literally October 1st hits, you're seeing Jack Skellington, and he doesn't get off of your screen uh, on, you know, ABC Family or whatever the hell they're calling it now, or, uh, yeah. you know, on, on TV or on in everywhere at Disneyland. He doesn't go away until December 31st. So I would get it. If you are kind of, you know, there, there is a part of you that doesn't like it based on that. But, yeah, you mentioned it's also, if you haven't watched it in a long time, watch it again. Yeah, because that's it's what I mean. really good. You know me, Cody. I, I, I love to be the contrarian. I love to hate on specific things that give people, as far as I'm concerned, too much joy. Uh, but, <laughs> but this, the movie's so good, 
it, it breaks through my my hard exterior. And um, even if, you know, Blink-182 sings to me about how they can live like Jack and Sally if they want. Uh, <laughs> that was I, their, that was Blink-182 at their peak, peak hot topic moment, yeah. too. Definitely. The way they dressed, everything about it was... That was the full, uh, the full mainstreamification of... Uh, of Blink-182. This is going to be the episode, by the way, where I just add ification to the ends of things and just <laughs> and like it's a too, thing. Paul, it was also the moment, I think, where uh, Nightmare Before Christmas kind of crossed into fully into the mainstream. It's not that it... it, it so this movie comes out in 1993. I'm born in 1990. This See, movie, that's what's crazy. Yeah. This movie feels like it's a staple of the late 90s, early 2000s. Exactly. But it like comes I said, out in 93. The hot topification. <laughs> yes. Yes. Ification. Uh, so this is a movie I feel like that was always there, clearly, because it was only three when it came out. I should also mention, before we go any further, if we're talking about when it came out, Paul, I can tell you uh, that one of my first... Vivid memories as a child. I must have been three and a half or around that. I can still to this day distinctly remember this commercial for the movie coming on and me like a little wimp running under my kitchen table and cowering oh. in fear. This oh, Cody. movie scared the shit out of me as a kid ah now i'm just picturing little baby cody just getting scared <laughs> then asking my whoever whichever adult was yeah. in the room is it over yet a little little giant's cap pulled over his his eyes so he couldn't see it scared his, me his tiny little beard just <laughs> i'm just picturing you i'm picturing you as yourself just a mini version by yes, the way that's right I'm, i actually came out of the womb with a yeah. beard yeah <laughs> come to think of it paul I I think that Tim Burton is to blame for essentially all of my childhood fears. Honestly, mm. like my most visceral memories of being frightened as a child are from Tim Burton movies. It's and from, of Helena Bonham Carter, obviously. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, this, uh, the scene in Beetlejuice with the worm mm. scared me as a, a kid. good one. Really scared me. Uh, I still, the, one of my most vivid nightmares ever is, uh, after I watched Pee Wee's Big Adventure and what's the name of the truck driver, um, where she, oh, Large Marge, Large Marge. <laughs> I watched that frightened, went to bed and literally had a dream where I saw Large Marge coming into my room with that freaky ass face and nice. come to think of it also, Paul, my older sister uh, my old sister Kayla had a Joker doll from the Tim Burton Batman movie that she used to, while I was in my room, put her hand in through the crack of my door and go, and then chase me around the house with it. So there you go. Thanks, Tim Burton, for all of the scarring memories. Also, yeah, this is speaking of the, the scarring memories of it all. Nowadays... Disney's very proud to be like, oh yeah, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Disney, The Nightmare Before Christmas. But correct me if I'm wrong, since you did the research and I didn't, did, it didn't seem like this was marketed as a Disney film at the time, it right? Because not. of the more, like, isn't the whole point of Touchstone Pictures that it's like, these are our PG movies. It was Ooh. the mature brand, PG <laughs> yeah. to sometimes they would go R, but even that was more reserved for... Um, 
I guess what they have like Hollywood pictures for a while. They had that, and Miramax, they had um, obviously. They had also another one. What was it? Hold on. Yeah, uh, I know it because the Thirteenth Warrior was a movie made from it. Yeah, uh, the, it was the it was the teenage brand for Disney Touchstone Pictures, which. Uh, are they even still utilizing? Oh yeah, that Touchstone. Brand Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's Touchstone? Okay. Yeah. Are, are they even still using that brand anymore? Is that or is it just totally gone now that they have Fox? Why do they need it? I guess. Uh, it was eliminated. Uh oh, it was renamed. Let's see, Touchstone Films. It became Touchstone Pictures, which is what made this out. Oh, okay. It actually changed with the Curse of the Black Pearl. That's when they started shifting the more adult movies into... They they weren't scared anymore. Yeah, being Disney-branded films. Got it. Got it. Yeah, there's not really any point for a touchstone with if they're, one, willing to do it with that, and two, when you have, you know, like I said, you've got Marvel, you've got Lucasfilm, you've got Fox now, so why do you need it? Why do you even need it? But, yes, there was a time where um, the two that, uh, that we think of as, like, Disney movies... That were Touchstone films, this one, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit were both Touchstone productions. So, because, yeah, like you said, Disney didn't want, didn't feel like it, it connected with the brand. Although, from what I was reading, they were full speed ahead. They were going to make this the, you, you probably remember this from when we were kids, when they would introduce a new Disney animated feature, they would make sure to say the 31st Disney animated mm. feature. This would have been the 32nd Disney animated feature. That was what it was supposed to be. I mean, but is it animated? Yes. <laughs> what else is it? What else would it be? It's stop motion animation. That's a form of animation. But is it animated? Are you are you arguing that it's puppetry and not animation? Yes. Uh so it's stop motion. It's it's stop motion animation to me. Yeah. They're I feel like movies. stop motion animation is different than animation, which is different from regular animation, which is different from 3D animation. I just feel like they're not. I different. was gonna say, yeah, see that's the thing, is it's like if if this is an this is as much animation as like Toy Story Toy Story's animation, you know? Like it, it's a different like yes, it's it's a different it's a different way of doing it, but it is essentially the same thing. You're doing the same thing, you're animated movement. Like So do you consider the Fantastic Mr. Fox an animated movie? Yes. Hundred percent. Interesting. I never thought of it that way. Stop to me. St- if it's stop motion, that is animation to me. Yeah, that's animation. Consider this though. It's called stop motion. The motion's actually going. That is a good point. That's the trick. That's the magic of movies, Paul. And that's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is uh, a movie that is we are totally inundated with. The there's a culture around this movie. I won't say this movie's like a cult. That's the other thing. Would you consider this a cult hit at this point? Has it has it transcended cult status at this point? Yeah, this is way past cult at this point. This yeah. is it is mass marketed, full on mainstream a, film. But there is a Nightmare Before Christmas cult fandom for sure. Beyond yeah. the general fandom of it, I I yeah, but I don't know. The second you have popcorn buckets of Oogie Boogie sold at Disneyland, it has gone past that point. Yeah, it is. Fair it is. It might have started out that way. You know, in like the in like the mid to late '90s, before like I like my coin term, the hot topification of it all. Uh, Before that, I would say, yeah, it was probably considered a cult movie, and then like many cult movies, eventually it stops being a cult movie because too many people uh, start talking about it, and 
It's on all the time. It's it's yeah. a Christmas. It's a Christmas and Halloween staple. Uh, you can't get away from it once October first hits. You just you just can't. And uh, but once you get past the fact that yeah, you can see uh, merchandise for Jack and Sally everywhere you go. You know, there's an entire section of Hot Topic dedicated to it. It feels like for now of fifteen years. Uh, this is. It, it it's a masterpiece of of stop motion filmmaking and a uh it, also the songs have i, mean, I don't it almost sounds negative they have no business but really in a way they kind of have no business being this good like it's insane how good the music is in this movie um, yeah especially when you know it's it, everything melds together here so perfectly so uh, there's a reason it has earned the reputation it has. It is absolutely deserves the reputation it has, even if, again, you are bludgeoned over the head with it every single year. But let's get a little bit into the background of this movie. It's a long background. It's This movie was... Uh, the the seeds of this movie were planted a good 15 years-ish before, maybe even further. I just wanted to add real quickly, um, later on... Uh, don't pause this podcast. Keep listening. Uh, but later on, I was just looking up Sideways is the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a little like, it's like a short 10 minute. It's it's called A Musical Conspiracy Theory, the finale to Nightmare Before Christmas. And it's not an actual conspiracy theory. It's, it is it is uh, like deconstructing some of the musical themes and actually applying musical theory to it and showing you why the song takes certain turns and why it's so perky to your ear and you're like, oh, I love... Like, there's there's like key changes and all these moments that happen in in, in songs in the movie that you're like, well, that's interesting. That's nice. Ooh, why'd they do that? And then there's... And you might even say like, oh, it looks like they probably did that. Like, Danny Elfman did that as like a story component as well as just to make it sound good. So, yeah, yeah. that's all. I just wanted to throw that in there because someone who knows music way better than I do made a really good video about the music and I'm, I just thought it was great. We'll definitely link that uh, here on social media when we release the episode and uh, that makes a lot of sense when, you know, I'll talk about it here, how they made the movie. It does make a lot of sense that the music is as cinematic, you know, it's uh, as much of a storytelling vehicle as it is, you know, even, you know, it's a musical so of course it is, but um, even more to the point why exactly that is the way they wrote this thing, but Let's go back to around the late 70s. Tim Burton is a student at the California Institute of the Arts, better known as Cal Arts. If you are a big Disney head, you know that name because he was in school alongside many of the people who end up shaping animated movies over the next 30 years or so. Disney and Pixar legends, John Musker, Jerry, Gary Truesdale, both part of huge parts of the Disney Renaissance. Uh, of course, John Lasseter and Brad Bird as well uh, from of Pixar fame uh, and uh, the director of Nightmare Before Christmas himself, Henry Selleck, just to name a few. Um, I also saw like there's a separate class like 10 years later. That's all like Genny Tartakovsky of Dexter's Lab and Samurai Jack fame, who t- attended with Steven Hillenburg of SpongeBob fame, who attended with like the creator of the Powerpuff Girls. Like just suddenly it's it goes from like the, all these incredible feature animators to these incredible television animators, like within a 10 year period. Insane. The amount of uh, talent that comes out of there. I, I was going to say you, you said the the Henry Selleck of Nightmare Before Christmas fame. Um, I would actually say one of the biggest travesties of this movie is the fact that 
I feel like 90% of all people think Tim Burton directed this movie. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, the fact that it is billed as to this day, it's the technical title of this movie is not The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, now, he is the guy who has the idea for it. It's his, it's, it is his story. So mm-hmm. that's fair, but we'll talk more about it. Didn't have really anything to do with the production process once it got rolling. Um, yeah, it, it's a shame that... Uh, well, he, and you look at the career, too, of Henry Selick, who, by all means, has had a good career. Um, he does James and the Giant Peach after this, another film that scarred me as a child, although I ended up liking it a lot more than this movie, even though I think it's a little scarier. Anyway. Oh, and he's also working on a stop-motion film right now. Yes, with Key and Peele, I saw. Yes, yes. I'm excited about that. Uh, yeah. A Coraline, which is r- such a good movie. Very underrated movie. Uh, and, yeah, that's the thing, though, is that, one, stop motion is, is such an arduous process. And it it's a lot of money to make it. And they don't make a ton of money. So the art form doesn't, it just doesn't have the same legs that it should because, you know, this is what's happened with Hollywood and the commercialization of Hollywood. So it's a shame uh, that we didn't get a a little more work from him. But I digress. Uh, So these incredible group of of talented future uh, movers and shakers of the animation business in Hollywood, uh, they're learning from the people who helped define the genre for many years prior. Guys like Disney legend Mark Davis, who also worked on some Imagineering projects as well. Uh, Many of these future titans would go on to work with Walt Disney Animation immediately after graduation. They have a special Disney day at the Institute where all the seniors uh, get hired, essentially. The best of the best of the class get hired directly to go work at Disney. So while the transition from Cal Arts to Disney was rocky for most of the crew, Burton was part of this crew. Burton and Selick were sort of the black sheep of the new recruits. Uh, the Cal Arts crew's first big assignment was working on the 1981 film The Fox and the Hound. It was the first time they had all kind of worked on different projects under the tutelage of like, uh, what is it, the Nine Old Men, the original Disney animators. But this was the yeah. first time where they said, go, this is yours. And apparently there was uh, a lot of drama The for one. Uh, the Fox and the Hound, when you think of Henry Selick and Tim Burton, that's not the type of project that would come to mind. Didn't yeah. really appeal to their darker sensibilities uh, as Selick put it in an interview with vanity fair in 2014 about his legendary cal arts class he said that early on he liked the darker things bits from fantasia and more experimental things it's kind of like my classmates were studying from disney to do disney something he wasn't really trying to do so most of the Cal Arts class disbands after the frustrating production of The Fox and the Hound that saw longtime animator Don Bluth abruptly leave mid-production. Uh, there was an inflated budget. It did fine at the box office, but uh, just a lot of clashing. Burton uh, did get to stay at Disney for a few more projects. He did a uh, short film, a short stop-motion film called Vincent, which was uh, sort of an ode to Vincent Price. Not sure if it actually ever aired. I think it is featured as a special feature on one of the Nightmare Before Christmas releases. He also provided uh, concept art for The Black Cauldron and Tron, none of which were used. Uh, there was also a Japanese-themed version of Hansel and Gretel that he created, another stop motion. Uh, it was aired one time at 10.30 p.m. on Halloween night, 
1983 on the Disney Channel and never aired again. Wow. Uh, I think it's, uh, once again, one of those things, I think it's a special feature, but yeah, Disney said, and we're done. All the while, Burton is also working on a project inspired by his love for Halloween and Christmas. Apparently, he was, as a child, inspired, or maybe a little older, but inspired by literally going to the store, to the department store, and on November 1st, seeing them move out the Christmas, move out the Halloween decorations and put in the Christmas decorations. So there would be this brief moment where both coexisted. And he always loved that. So he writes this poem titled The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, he envisioned that this would be a holiday TV special in the mold of like the Grinch, how the Grinch stole Christmas and the classic Rankin and Bass stop motion specials. He even wanted Vincent Price to be the narrator for the special. The idea intrigued Disney executives, and uh, there was some pre-production on the project in the mid-80s, but they ultimately believed it was a little too strange for wide audiences and halted production. Burton would move on and write and direct his breakout short film in his final production during his first stint at Disney 1984's Frankenweenie. It gains a cult following, uh, but... Disney fired him almost immediately after the short's release, claiming that he was wasting the company's money on films that were not suitable for children. Uh, Ironic, of course, what, 25, almost 30 years later, they adapt Frankenweenie into a Disney uh, animated film. Also, they say he can't make stuff for children and they hired him to make to make Dumbo. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 crazy how like at this time, I mean, it's a different Disney, uh, obviously. This was the Disney of like when Disney was nearly sold. You mm-hmm. know, this was the Disney hanging on for dear life. All of the all of Walt's Disney was gone. Uh in this was what a couple who, years that who was chairman of this at this time? This was pre Eisner. Pre Katzenberg, oh. pre Eisner. Oh, okay. This is that dark period where they were lost. And I think, yeah, they were gonna sell to I can't remember exactly. I think it was like United Artists was up for it. Like some, like in retrospect, something crazy. But yeah, Disney was on the verge of selling. And at this point, they were more known as a uh, theme park company. They were them being a movie company was just nothing was passe. So fortunately for Burton, Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, Yes. Got a chance to watch Frank and Weenie. He absolutely loved it. And almost immediately after he's fired from Disney, asks Burton to direct the film debut of his popular stage persona, Pee Wee Herman. With the release of Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Burton becomes the hottest director in Hollywood overnight. And uh, I think that his reputation now sort of clouds just how good he was for that, that period of time. From, like... I don't think this is an overstatement to say that from Pee Wee to, let's say, somewhere, depending on your taste, maybe Ed Wood or Mars Attacks is about the one of the best strings of critical and commercial hits that any filmmakers ever had. Yeah, definitely. That's that is his 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 apex. That is that is peak Burton. Yeah. I mean, to do Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Batman uh edward scissorhands beetlejuice uh, and he didn't direct nightmare before christmas but batman returns batman returns and then ed wood 
that's yeah. a crazy streak. That yeah, if if that was someone's career, you would be like, that's it. You're good. You're you're done. You're cemented. Your place in film history is set. Yeah. Meanwhile, Henry Selick, uh, who also had an unceremonious departure from Disney, spends the next decade doing freelance work. He's trying to perfect his stop motion animation techniques on commercials and television. Uh, Most notably, he did a lot of work with MTV. Things change in 1990 when Selick's old classmate Tim Burton calls him up and asks for his help on his latest film. Burton was too tied up in other projects, specifically Batman Returns, and didn't have the time to bring his passion project to life. So he asks if he would direct the stop-motion animated film The Nightmare Before Christmas, which was being produced by Walt Disney Pictures. Now, I know he literally just said he got fired from Disney, so what's going on here? Yeah, after a less than a decade after canning him, Burton was back with Disney, although not really his choice. Tim Burton was exploring the possibility uh, of doing a nightmare, the nightmare before Christmas again, uh, when he actually found out because they went into pre-production on it. Oh yeah. That's their movie. Disney owned the production rights to the nightmare before Christmas. That's the way it works. Yep. Yep. So now this is now Burton after a string of success. So Disney was more than happy to accommodate uh, and were thrilled to be working with them. And also, this is now the Eisner Katzenberg Disney, a much different vibe at, at Walt Disney Pictures at this point. So they're all in on working. Eisner, you say? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Uh, hello, Tim. We would love for you to bring your uh, uniquely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Is that a pin or a magnet of Michael Eisner saying hello? Oh, that's wonderful. Hey, you can buy that at uh, our mutual friend Stephanie Olson's uh, Etsy shop. That's awesome. That's awesome. Shout out, Stephanie. That's, a, that's incredible. I love that. It's under Holy Mackerel Crafts at Etsy to f- get those stickers, a bunch of other great stickers, and a great uh, felt ornament of the seat of Donald Duck. Fantastic. Absolutely Shout out, check that out to friend and listener, Stephanie. Absolutely check that out. 100%. Hello. <laughs> Hello. So, uh, yeah, much, 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 much different uh, by all accounts from, from either side here. As mentioned... Burton was busy with other projects, so he had very little involvement once the filming actually begins. He tried to find someone to write a script out of his original poem, uh, but original screenwriter Michael McDowell, who worked with Burton on Beetlejuice, didn't produce a script to Burton's liking, although I think he's still credited. So the frustration is mounting. Burton's schedule is becoming more demanding, but Burton comes up with a grand idea to make the movie into a musical instead. Uh, The thinking being that with songs filling up most of the runtime, there simply won't be as much script to actually have to write. Uh, Another Burton collaborator, uh, Carolyn Thompson, would flesh out the script, although, as Henry Selleck would later admit, a lot of the dialogue was changed on the fly. Also, this is right in the middle of the Disney renaissance, so... uh... Yeah. I assume that didn't help hurt his idea of being like, hey, also, it's a musical, and that might make Disney execs go, well, those are hot right now. Yeah, exactly. They're probably just like, oh, yeah, well, come on. Where do we sign? This is done. We're in. You got something, kid. He asks Danny Elfman, who else? To write the score and songs for the film while Burton fleshed out the story. So basically, I think you mentioned it uh, with that video that uh, we have we have linked to on our social media if you, if you want to check it out, uh, that 
the way that the songs are presented is, uh, you know, the, I think this kind of tells you uh, exactly why the songs are the way they are. Like they were writing the songs before they were writing the script. The song was telling the songs were telling the story, basically. Um, so, and they are wonderful, wonderful songs. So is this, this is the first time Danny Elfman's writing like a movie musical thing, right? Yeah. I mean, he was at this point, you know. He and Burton. I, I mean, think, like he's been doing oh, soundtracks, but I mean, like right, right, writing right. songs for a musical. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, yeah, as I mentioned, yeah, this is years after he has now become not years, maybe about five or six years after he has fully become made the transition to composer. The days of Oingo Boingo are way in the rearview mirror. Not in um, my life, baby. Nah. Not in my life. I mean, he probably calls upon it here to help him out. Let's be honest. Uh, obviously Batman and I think he actually did every Burton movie up to this point. So it was a no brainer that he was going to help him out. Cody. It's a, it's a dead man's party every day of my life. Cody. That's kind of makes sense. Why he was a perfect fit for this. Right. And in fact, yep. Paul, he called the experience one of the easiest jobs I've ever had because I had a lot in common with Jack Skellington. Uh, so much in common that they just went ahead and casted Elfman as the singing voice of Jack Skellington. Um, and they casted Chris Sarandon as the speaking voice, just so they could match Elfman's vocals as much as they, as close as possible. Other Burton favorites who lent their voices include, of course, Catherine O'Hara, formerly in Beetlejuice, as Sally, Glenn Shaddix, I believe also in Beetlejuice, as the mayor of Halloween Town, and Paul Rubens as well. Ken Page plays Oogie Boogie. Ken Page, I believe, is the original Deuteronomy on Broadway uh, for Cats. I wanted to speak a little on, uh, on Catherine O'Hara being in this. Um, I, I don't know if you've watched Shit's Creek yet. If you have not, if you have not, it's delightful and you should watch it. But what has made me sad is the internet, like this week, it decided to go viral on Twitter that people are like, oh, wait, the woman from Schitt's Creek is also in Home Alone? And I'm like, yes, you put fucking respect on Catherine O'Hara's name. (laughs) How dare you? This is How do you not know this? I mean, this is always going to be, you know, the never, the march of time never, never ends. There's going to be somebody huge right now who in 30 years, they're going to say, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like, oh, wow, uh, Chris Evans is uh, the same. The, the, this guy from, you know, Warp Speed 37 is also Captain America. Whoa. Yeah. Like, are you What? This old man used to be Captain America. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. That's what's going to happen, Paul. Get ready for it. That's a peek into our future. It's going to yeah. be awful. Also, um, I, I only prefer to. Uh, refer to Chris Sarandon as Susan's husband. (laughs) (laughs) Ex-husband, but yes. 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 Susan's ex-husband. Yes. Yes. Uh, The only major recasting for the film was Tim Burton's idol, a guy we've mentioned a couple times, Vincent Price. He was going to be in this movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. He would get take a guess who you who he was. I don't think you'll be able to guess. Um, The mayor. Santa Claus. Oh, that's amazing. Merry Christmas, children. <laughs> Could you imagine <laughs> Vincent Price's Santa? <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect for this movie. It would have been perfect. Uh, he actually recorded dialogue 
he was going to be in this movie. Um, unfortunately, this is where it gets a little sad. Uh, Price's voice was not what it used to be, in part due to his failing health. His wife passed very recently from when he was recording dialogue, so it just wasn't up to it. Uh, so Selleck reluctantly recast the role. Uh, there was talk. That Price might provide the narration at the beginning of the film. Uh, James Earl Jones was also considered. Uh, they end up going with local voice actor Ed Ivory, although on the soundtrack, it's Patrick Stewart. Wow. Vincent Price would have, if he was in the film, he died four days before its release. Yep. That's crazy. Although it did premiere 16 days before he died. So he would have. it would have been the final mm. thing he probably would have watched of his work. So. Filming takes place in San Francisco, and the entire production took well over two years. A crew of over 120 people worked on 20 different sound stages. At one point, every sound stage was being utilized for filming. Uh, 227 puppets were used, and they shot 109,440 frames to bring Jack and Halloween Town to life. Wow. It just it reminds me of... Uh... You watched Parks and Rec. Yes. Do you remember when he when Adam Scott makes the stop motion video? Yes. yes. <laughs> and it's it and he's like and it's like stand in the, and it stops. And he goes, <laughs> That took me like five days. <laughs> That's all I think about like with stop motion. I'm just like, I do not have the kind of patience that would be necessary in order to work on anything stop motion related. It it's insane hand drawn animation requires an incredible amount of patience that is nothing compared to what these guys did that's yeah. that's what you're it, it's basically just like hey what if we did hand drawn animation but way slower and way more time consuming and arduous let's do that yeah and it's it i mean when it works you get this. You get incredible. I mean, Leica still does some really incredible stop motion work. But yeah, we get what? Maybe three, maybe every three or four years we get a new Leica production. Yeah. And they they always do fine, but they never do tons of business. So I will you know. say uh, the, the production design of Tim Burton is all over, you know. All the stripes, brother. All the oh, stripes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Literally, literally, quite literally. So many stripes. stripes. So many stripes. Um, also... Cody, I don't mean to get political on here, but I think Trump was accusing the wrong person when it came to tiny little windows because Tim Burton loves tiny little windows. <laughs> all his houses and castles have tiny little windows. Tim Burton, they're all askew. All his houses, how do they stand? That's why they want climate change. They're defying the laws of physics. Tim Burton is a, is a witch. You heard it here folks. Tim Burton wants a Green New Deal with tiny windows. Look, I know Tim Burton. He's a witch. He's a witch, folks. <laughs> you see his hair? Uh. So despite this long production cycle, uh, the man whose name is uh, on the film's title was apparently only on set for eight to ten days in total. That son of a bitch. Yep. I would, I would be so angry. <laughs> If I was someone else, anyone else who worked on that set, I'd be like, this son of a bitch, he comes up with this idea to do the stop motion goddamn movie, and this guy isn't even here to help, like, put in that, the time? If you want, but I mean, that's it. That's it. 
that was the moment, man. That was we all had Burton mania in the early nineties. And if that isn't and the American dream in a nutshell, I don't know what y- is. You just plaster your name at the top of the marquee, and th- you're done. You get and, all the and, credit, and you show and up for even, a week. Nobody even talks about the real director. <laughs> nope, son of a bitch. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, this is as much Henry Selick's vision as it is Burton's, if not more so. Uh, apparently Burton now here's the part where it feels a little better Burton apparently gets annoyed that people don't remember Selick for directing the movie Uh, on the direction of the film Selick said quote it's as though Burton laid the egg and I sat on it and hatched it he wasn't involved in a hands-on way but his hand is in it it was my job to make it look like a Tim Burton film which is not so different from my own films when asked on Burton's involvement Selick did claim I don't want to take away from Tim but he was not in San Francisco when we made it he came up five times over two years and he said uh, in total about eight to ten days Mm. so we mentioned this a little earlier the film was set to be released under the Walt Disney Animation Studios banner would have been the 32nd Disney animated movie uh, in the same pantheon of Snow White and Pinocchio and Fantasia and 101 Dalmatians Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas which I'm sure a Disney exec thought of it that way and went oh wait a minute we can't do that that's weird which it would have been fine it would have been cool but yeah, studio execs uh, saw exactly what the film looked like, uh, and they decided that it would be, quote, too dark and too scary for kids. Uh, and they released it as a Touchstone pitch- Pictures production instead. Luckily, that change doesn't really hurt the film at the box office. It was a modest success. It made $50 million against a $24 million budget during its initial release, but it was on home release where the film really transformed from quirky sleeper to bona fide holiday classic. Uh, the movie gains a cult following on VHS and eventually became popular enough that Disney was even thinking about a sequel. In 2001, ideas for a Nightmare Before Christmas sequel were being tossed around at the studio. Uh, and this is the part where it's this is where everything would have gone to shit. Film was set to be a computer animated movie Mm. it's been awful don't do that been awful don't like that don't like that yeah but cody uh what day was it released october 29th it was so you're telling me it's a halloween movie why are we talking about it well paul here's the thing (laughs) okay it had one halloween weekend and then was out for the entire holiday season so mm. I would say to you, sure, one Halloween weekend, because, yes, we're in Halloween town, the Pumpkin King, of course. But there is about eight more weeks of the holiday season that that movie got to sit in theaters and people got to enjoy it as they cozied up with old Sandy Claus. So eight's more than one is what I'm trying to say, really. Math checks out. Yeah, math checks out. Uh, apparently, Tim Burton catches wind. That Disney is trying to make a sequel. And he reached out to them personally and convinced them that everything about this sucked. Awful idea. And they didn't do it. Which, again, kind of also shows you the pull Tim Burton has. Tim Burton calls. Don't cross Tim Burton. And I'm sure they also would have to get his permission to do it. Since it is yeah. his, his property. So, uh, Although, if you really are dying 
for a sequel. Uh, there is a video game called Oogie's Boogie's Revenge. Uh, I believe it's for the PlayStation 2. And there is a comic book sequel as well. So it's there if you want it. Just okay. don't computer animate it. Uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas has somewhat surprisingly become one of Disney's flagship films and franchises. So much so that Disney has retroactively made the film a Walt Disney Studios production. Uh, from a too scary for kids sleeper hit to the to- Hot Topic teen's favorite holiday movie and uh, to an overlay of the Haunted Mansion that regularly has two-hour wait times. A pretty crazy journey. And uh, I think, Paul, before we start talking about the movie, uh, we are huge Disneyland, Disney Parks fans. Yes. And, uh, I again, because we have already established The Nightmare Before Christmas is a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Why is it up during Halloween? Why is the Haunted Mansion overlay up during Halloween? Makes no sense. Yeah, it's already I, the Haunted Mansion. That is already Halloween-themed enough. Yeah, I, I side with the uh, the boys, the boys, boys, boys of uh, Podcast the Ride uh, when they talk about this. You know, some people, like, we, 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 we are a different breed of person because we go to Disneyland multiple times in the year. Right. But the average Joe... Goes to Disneyland once every few years, if not once a decade, because they live somewhere else. And they're or like, once it's a, it's in a, their life. Yeah, it's a big trek. So imagine, Cody, you go around Halloween time, and all you want is to ride the regular haunted mansion. The, the revered haunted the mansion. Classic. A legendary ride. The classic. One of the OGs. And instead... You get this hot topification. <laughs> and take a drink. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, I, I think it's it should only come up uh during the Christmas time. Yeah. Christmas decorations equals nightmare before Christmas. When you're making That's... Christmas, you put up nightmare before Christmas. That's fine. Yeah. I'm totally I like it. It's that's the other thing. It's cool. I really like it. I do too. Yeah. It's really really cool. The Jack Skellington animatronic is incredible. The Oogie Boogie in the in when you're boarding your Doom Buggy is oh, awesome. Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. I just wish it was not there for Halloween because it's not Christmas yet. It's yeah. Halloween. I love the gingerbread smell when you go into the. Uh, Again, it's it's a ten out of ten room. overlay. It's awesome. It's it is so good. But uh, I I also alluded to uh, there's a very famous person who agrees with this as well. Uh, if you have a chance, just look up Ryan Gosling Haunted Mansion, and he is talking with some girls who are just. Uh, it must be at Disneyland. Or near Disneyland, within the vicinity, um, because they're talking about Disneyland. They ask him what's his favorite ride, and without hesitation, says Haunted Mansion. And uh, and I don't even think he's prompted. He says, "I hate that they have the Nightmare Before Christmas on uh, overlay on it." He said, "I hate it. It's already the Haunted Mansion. It's already you know it is in his little. It's already Haunted Mansion. It's all Halloween. You don't need it. It's so it's great. I highly yeah. recommend watching it." He's one of us, Paul. He's one of us. Ryan Gosling, all these years later, bringing the news. Yep. Let's do this. Yep. Uh, Also, when the hell are we ever going to get that Haunted Mansion Ryan Gosling movie? I don't think it's ever going to happen. I wish it would. Guillermo del Toro was going to direct it. It was going to be great. Hatbox Ghost. It was going to be great. Not going to happen. Yeah. Probably not going to happen. 
Oh, well, let's talk about this movie. We arrive in Halloween Town. Almost immediately, we get the first song of the movie in what is a fantastic opening number. All of the Halloween Town ghouls and ghoulies and characters have all gathered uh, to celebrate the rousing success of Halloween in This Is Halloween. Um, Paul, I probably should have prompted you before this, but who is your favorite sort of ancillary Halloween Town character, your favorite, Ooh. your favorite background citizen of Halloween Town. There are a lot of good choices, and everyone kind of has a moment too in this movie. You know, off the top of my head, I like the uh, the the wolf guy. Like the wolf, I just like the aesthetic of the wolf. He looks cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, when I finally wasn't scared of this movie, uh, which also which was last year. No joke. I, I want to say it was maybe this my second year of high school. I finally mustered up the courage. Cody, that's like, embarrassing. You know <laughs> yeah, it's really embarrassing. <laughs> it's really embarrassing. I finally was like, I'm going to watch it. I'm finally going to watch it. I did. Uh, took, took over 10 years to finally be like, it's time. Get over your fears. I usually say the vampires. I really like the vampires because their movements are much more rigid than everybody else. Uh, and they all talk like this the whole time. It's just everything. Is, it's funny. They're very funny. This little... I also like, I don't know if he's a zombie. Uh, the one that looks like Pugsley Adams. Oh, yeah. With the with the axe in his head, right? Yeah. He says, Bunny, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that guy, too. Uh, also, I got a shout out. Just because I kept thinking, like, that must have been really hard to always animate. Melting guy. The guy whose face is, I don't know if it's melting. I don't know if it's mud. I don't know if it's some, Jack puts his hand on his head at one point and it's sticky. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But I kept thinking that, like, there are just still shots of the crowd and he's still melting. So I'm like, damn, they they really, that that was hard. Oh, you know what? Now that I'm seeing, because I have it up right now, mm-hmm. I like I like the snake hands person that looks like he, they're straight out of Beetlejuice. Yes, I was gonna say there's that that style of character shows up in a lot of Tim Burton movies. The like striped snake look. Yeah, Burton snakes uh, are like the good version of Abrams aliens. <laughs> um, you know, like you know exactly what it is the moment it shows up. You're like, ah, there's that again. But it's like an old friend showed up, whereas in Abrams Alien, it's like, this is Star Wars. Why is this thing here? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Great song. I mean, this is what it's weird to even say anything about the song. It's like, it's a great, perfect song with incredible characters. And it's a great introduction. It's almost like a like a retelling of the origin story of Jack Skellington. Yeah, you're getting kind of caught up on on how did we end up here? Why is what is this place and who is Jack Skellington? It's great. And then we get the, uh, from there we get to the, uh, we see Sally in the song, but mm. then afterward we get her and the, um, Dr. Finkelstein. Is it Dr. Yes. Finkel something? Yeah. Yeah. I, this, something I should like know this. Again, the, 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 all the, the hot topification of fans are screaming right now. <laughs> uh, he doesn't have any, wait a minute. Hold up. This is, pause for a second. Dr. Finkelstein. It's Dr. Finkelstein. Yeah. He's not ever named in the movie. Oh. Did, did you know that? He's, he is. He is credited as evil scientist. 
Well, there you go. Because um, even even when Jack arrives, I just realized even when Jack comes to his house, he goes, "Doctor." It's all he says. I so I like that. Not only do we get the opening song, which introduces you to the world, introduces you to Jack, but then the first interaction we have already sums up their relationship. She's dragging him. She unhooks her arm. So you already know, like, that's kind of her thing is that she can, like, come into pieces whenever right. she feels like it. So yeah. it's like we, we get a perfect introduction into everyone. She already. could cut her life into pieces. This is her last resort, after all. Son of a bitch. Speaking of hot topification, son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, my God. Little did you expect Papa Roach would be in this podcast, but oh here we are. Oh, my God. Uh, so after that song, uh, we have met Jack, who, even after a rousing success uh, of Halloween, another great or terrible Halloween, as they say, uh, the Pumpkin King uh, seems to be a little downtrodden uh, as this holiday is sort of wearing on sort of the yearly, you know, same old thing every single year. And we hear exactly what he's feeling. We also meet his dog zero, uh, who is wonderful. My, one of my favorite parts of the movie. I love it. It's zero. great. Who doesn't love zero? Also, uh, I think it only dawned on me now. It probably should have dawned on me years ago. Uh, very Grinch like. Having, I mean, the fact, one, his stature is sort of Grinch-like, yeah. minus a belly, um, and having his little dog by his side all the time is very Grinch-like. Um, yes. Although, he's sort of like a reverse Grinch in many ways. He ruins yeah, Christmas, but not because, but, but out of the goodness of his heart. Well, the good thing about this movie is you grow up with this movie, Cody, because when you get older and you start being disenfranchised with life, you start to really start to... Uh, uh, identify with Jack in this scene. You're like, yeah. oh yeah, what is everything? <laughs> year after year, the same old thing. Uh, Jack's Lament is the song, and it is um, it is one of those songs, too, where you're like, you know, like when, like when Gene Kelly was making Singing in the Rain, and he's dancing around in the city block with pouring water. Is anything going through anyone's mind like, this is it. Everyone is going to remember this for the rest of our lives and beyond. Like, this is the scene. This is the most iconic thing. I just wonder what goes through people's minds when they see things that are, like, so instantly iconic. Because this yeah. is that. Like, when, yeah, they, the, like when, the image like, when the... they presented that set, did they all just collectively go, holy shit. Yeah, that's the poster. That's everything. It's the, the curly mountain in, in the moon face. And then, yeah, it's all... Exactly what you think. When you think of the movie, yeah. that's the image you think. And to pair it with this melancholy, beautiful song, it just everything clicks. This is the yeah. this is the moment in the movie. I mean, this is Halloween is like super fun and awesome introduction, but to me, this is the moment where like the movie clicks. Well, I think not just in children's musicals, but regular movie musicals, yes. they usually take a while before they give you a bummer number. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they don't drop it in second time, second it's, song. I mean, we have to know. I mean, this is the conflict of the movie is yeah. he is bored of Halloween. He wants something more. It's his want song, essentially. Yeah. Uh, that's what this It follows the Disney formula to a T. Uh, Danny Elfman is great in the, is, uh, singing as as Jack. It, I could see why they're just like, we don't need anyone else. This is perfect. He's perfect. But it doesn't end like a want song does because a want song yeah. ends on a high. Yeah, this is not, which is perfectly suited for Halloween. And I could also see why maybe Disney says 
No, it's got to cheer it up a little bit. Yeah. Come on, smile. Cheer up. So that night, he goes on a long walk. He's lost. At one point, we, we stumble on him, and he's now lost in the woods. Has he fallen asleep while he's walking also? I always, I'm always confused by that. Does, <laughs> can skeletons just fall asleep while they walk? Uh, anyway, he essentially, he, he's, he is just totally lost his way, and he is in the middle of the woods. Um, and he stumbles on doorways that we saw at the beginning of the movie. We go down the Halloween town doorway, but he stumbles on that same doorway and you see like for Easter and for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving one's weird. Like I, I could get the other ones, but like the Thanksgiving door, um, don't go down that one. He, then he of course stumbles down. He opens the door. He, he's, he's entranced by the Christmas tree door. Um, he opens the door and eventually the wind drags him down and it leads him of course to Christmas Town. Did I miss? By the way, do we have the mayor in between here at one point? We do. We have. We okay. have. Sa- we have Sally uh, getting stitched up by the doctor, and then we have the mayor uh, wondering where Jack is. Basically, yeah. Uh, there was a line I forgot. I almost mentioned. I almost forgot the line he says. I'm only ele- when he's knocking on his door to plan for next Halloween. I'm only an elected official here. I can't make decisions by myself. Yes. Good line. Good parents good love that line. Parents love that line. The parents see that's good. That's good parent humor right there. That's good parent humor. Uh, also, the fact that he's two faced. Yes. Good parent. Good little bit of parent humor as well. Good. Good stuff. Good stuff. So clever. Yes. So so he falls down the Christmas door. Uh, the music suddenly turns from dreary and scary and spooky and fun to lighthearted and Christmassy. We hear a harp and jingle bells and all that as we have arrived in this snowy wonderland in the song What's This? Um, which itself is almost becomes more of the theme of the movie. Mm. Uh, through, it's sort of the recurring theme of the movie, like when they're doing certain things or... Um, creating you know creating presence or whatever you hear this is sort of a motif used throughout the film um which again it ain't this is halloween it's 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 what's this it's the christmas song so it's a christmas movie is what i'm trying to say <laughs> it's all i'm trying to say it's a christmas movie get over it i don't know so if you're anyone... saying so you're saying it's a halloween movie no it's a christmas movie it's a christmas movie oh. it's they're in christmas town uh Jack is bewildered and amazed by all of the Christmas things. Um, another wonderful performance and song by Danny Elfman. I, again, I feel like I'm just just waxing poetic about everything about this movie. But what can you say? It's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful ditty. No, it's crazy that how Broadway these music this music sounds from someone who you know this is his first time doing a Broadway you know t- style of music right he had he had done movies and he was in a new wave band yeah you know like that's what his background was but you know the, the what's this what's this it's just like it's so like musical and and jaunty and jumpy and it's like it fits in like to where you know have there been stage productions of this i don't think there have uh, I mean, See, I'm, I bet you though. Like, they, is they that not one like of the a, more shocking lack of? You know what? Come to think of it, I think there might be like a children's musical version mm. that you can do. 
but I, I would have to look that up. I, I could be totally pulling that out of my ass and, and, and it's wrong. Um, here, I've got the Wikipedia up, which again, it's, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but still it's, I, I think I mean, they, they did like the famous Hollywood Bowl performance, but yes, with, with most of the cast, by the way. Uh, yeah, there was a live concert at the Hollywood Bowl in 2016 and 18. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, and they just did the uh, the virtual benefit concert too, as well. Yeah, doesn't look like that there was there's ever been a live theatrical version of this movie. That's so interesting to me because I feel like yeah. the music really lends itself to it, and they could easily. And considering the relationship of Disney and Broadway, I think is even more surprising. Yeah. Um, now there may be some ownership rights that, like Tim Burton, owns a big chunk of it, so it kind of has to go through him, not just mm, Disney. Whereas okay. something like Frozen or you know Lion King um, just goes through the old mouse house and you're fine. Whereas this, you know, might have to talk to old TB. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yes, Jack is enamored and absolutely thrilled with what he's seen he runs into the the candy cane pole finds that yes this is christmas town also i just before we go any further um uh, yeah once you get older watching this like things just amaze you the it's one it's clever just putting him in the snowman but yeah. like the animation there is so good like yeah just, when he when he like splits the snow off of him yes yeah. so good He's snowboarding down the sled. The sled is also good. That's so impressive. So, so impressive. So Jack returns to Halloween Town now. Uh, he's back. Everyone's happy. Yay. He's not dead. Jack is back, which it's weird. There's a, a couple of times where they say, um, is he dead? He's like, well, he's a skeleton. That's what, uh, well, yeah, the whole time they're panicking without him. And then he finally shows up again. They're like, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, how, do you, how do you how do you die again? Like literally, he says in in Jack's lament, like because I'm dead, I can take off my head. And well, that that mayor doesn't handle pressure very well. No, so, he doesn't. I don't know if you noticed. No, he's not very. Good. <laughs> it's kind of like real life. Like you're, like he's the pumpkin king. He's wait a minute. Is Jack Skellington essentially a mob boss in Halloween Town? Is that is he the Tony Soprano of Halloween Town? Is that what's really going on here? I, I like him as a person who's been watching The Crown recently. I actually consider him more like the figurehead. Not doesn't actually make the decisions, but everyone looks to him to be the as symbol. a symbol of strength. Yeah. Yes, and I the, got and it. to know that the crown is strong is to know that the country is strong. <laughs> right. So so the meetings with him and the mayor is like the queen meeting with Margaret Thatcher is what yes. you're trying to say. Okay, okay, that's better. Except I, one of them is a hellish ghoul, and the other one is the mayor of Halloween Town. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Take that, Thatcher. Anyway. Did you see that video I posted of the Scottish woman on like the I, day of the day I, of Thatcher's funeral? I can actually recall when that happened. Yeah, and that went viral. And God yeah. bless that woman. God bless her. <laughs> I put a stake through her heart and garlic around her neck. Make sure she don't come back. <laughs> and, she, and the reporter goes, "Is is that really a good thing to say on the day of her funeral?" And she goes, "Oh, too bad, too bad." <laughs> I love it. Wonderful, wonderful. It's okay to be happy when bad things happen to awful people. It's okay. Yeah, I love it. It's okay. Also, I really, uh, just because it's it's popping up now as I have the movie playing in silence uh, as we're talking, uh, the 
the uh, creature from the ba- Black Lagoon villager is also amazing. Oh yes, absolutely. Such a, a little reference, just like a teensy little sprinkled in reference. Right. Oh yeah, they went. They basically, without being a Universal movie, managed to get all the Universal monsters in there as little references in the town. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, there, this whole scene too, I think just before it, or maybe just before what's this, uh, like when the mayor is panicking, he's like, sound the alarm. I love the cat alarm. Yeah. Um, where they're just twirling its tail, cranking its tail is great. Um, yeah, it's, it's the little things in this movie. It's really, that's, it's what it comes down to. Yeah. The attention to detail paid to, to all these tiny little, cause you, you see like the backstage stuff and you know, the models are like. I think what Jack's like maybe a foot tall, if not, if maybe a little shorter. Mm-hmm. So like you got to think Pretty of all the village, yeah. all the villagers that he towers over. They're like, you know, little five, six inch figures, most of them. Yeah. And the amount of detail in each and every little one for all these close ups that the camera does is it's insane. It's, it is. wild. It is. It's yeah, it's. It's a wonder. I mean, it's it's you kind of also get why they don't make movies like this anymore because it is insane how much work it took to make this thing. Um, yeah. So, Jack is back. He's returned, and he has something to tell everybody. He's he's called a town meeting to tell everyone of what he has witnessed in Christmas Town, and he, in the form of song, at the literally a song called Town Meeting Song, um, which uses many of the same uh, melodies uh, borrowed from Jack's Lament, and I think a little bit of, of What's This, uh, where he is showing off all of his wares that he has acquired uh, at Christmas Town, the trees, the stockings, um, telling them essentially the story, um, yeah, I like this whole like call and response. You know what it feels like? It feels very classic Disney. It's their version of sort of like the princess telling everyone, you know, it's like um, someday my prince will come mm. where Snow White is telling the dwarves of this man she's in love with. And the dwarves are like, oh, is he strong? Is he handsome? You know, things like that. It's essentially that. It's like a warped version of that where. Yeah, it's, it's, this is uh, Be a Man, the Mulan song. Yes. Yeah, all exactly. the all the all the people chime in. Yeah, all this know? little call and response. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, um, uh, at this point, Jack is a Christian min- uh, missionary bringing his religion from a faraway country to uh, <laughs> to uh, push upon the people of this of this tiny place. Yeah, you're right. It gets a little culty. You're yeah. right. I mean, and he has such a he's so charismatic, and but also the the fact that he like he like relates it. To what they'll they'll be into, which shows mm-hmm. the master manipulator and really the antagonist that Jack Skellington is. <laughs> yeah, how he's like, oh, but no, it's Sandy Claus. He's scary. Ooh, but that's a, but see for them that's good. They like exactly scary. that's what I mean. Yeah, he okay, knows yeah, how yeah. to manipulate them into going along with what he wants to do. Good. And they call him Sandy Claus. Also, uh, look, there's very little to knock about this movie, but. Could we have gotten a little more creative in some some of the song titles? There's a song called Town Meeting Song. Oogie Boogie Song is called Oogie Boogie Song. And Sally's Song is called Sally's Song. Well, even Jack's Lament, Cody, is called Jack's ja- Lament. It's called Jack's Lament. <laughs> uh. I mean, something else. I don't know. I, I don't know. Whatever. I, I, that's the point where I'm like, there's so many other moving parts. They're just like, it's. What are we gonna call Jack's lament? Just, just call it Jack's lament. 
Yeah. It's fine. I, so, I, have, I have to change Jack Skellington's head 75 times today. Just yeah. call it Jack's Lament, okay? We're dealing with the 100th version of a Jack Skellington puppet. So we need to we need to keep going, um, Cody. The scene after this is one of my favorites, uh, which is him scientifically trying to understand Christmas. Yes, through science, but no, oh, the scientific he, method. Yes, as he says. Oh man, but he even does he even drop a but how, which yeah. is very again very Grinch like the Who's and the Whoville. They're still. You know, they're horn swagglers and whatnot, but how? Him putting uh, a scalpel to a teddy bear. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he's looking at, I don't know what berries ornament. those are. What berries those are. Uh, uh, on Christmas yeah. stuff. I mean, they're cranberries, but, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, are they? Uh, I think he, so. He, he's looking at it through a microscope, all confused. He's I making love, potions. I love he puts the ornament in there and then goes, interesting, but what does it mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so campy, so well done. It's great. Yeah. Um, also, uh, we, we intermittent, which we haven't really been covering, even though it's happened a few times, is uh, Sally drugging the uh, the doctor. Yes, so uh, she can go out at night. I do like the uh, yeah gives her the what is it the soup with the frog's breath. Yes, um, and still convinces him like yeah you should still yeah go ahead it's just frog's breath like it's your favorite and uh, yeah he gets knocked out. Also. Uh, Dr. Finkelstein, I immediate, every time I see him, I think of a 90s uh, sort of adult cartoon, Duckman. Do you remember this show? Yes! He looks exactly like Jason Alexander's Duckman. Anyway. That, is, great. that is a good call. Also, we get this. So then we have Sally escaping with her little picnic, uh, picnic basket. Yeah. Uh, that's where she leaps off, leaps yeah, out of the window, I was going right? to say... Yeah, that might have been the scene where the Disney execs finally went, you know what? We can't uh, do this. Yeah. Because it even happens off camera. There's a splat and there's people in the crowd like going, ooh, as though a real woman had just committed suicide off of a yeah. building. And her- a, it, now, they do enough of like, she can. she's a rag doll who can take herself yes. apart. Yes. That if you kind of put the pieces together, although if you're a little kid, yeah. it's kind but, of jarring. But they are alluding to an actual person committing suicide. Yes. 100%. Yeah. It's, it's not... It's not uh, it's not the most Disney thing. No. Um, but yeah, she's escaped um, as uh, she's she's seeing Jack clearly up to something uh, over there. And then uh, where she picks the flower and it turns into the Christmas tree and then the tree catches on fire. Yes. Um, which I don't know what black magic this is <laughs> to make this happen, but I don't know. It's Halloween town. There's, you know, there's no reason to explain. Um, it's Halloween town, baby. Yeah, it's, it's just forget about it. It's Halloween town. <laughs> she tells Jack that she saw this horrible vision and that she need he needs to not go through with his Christmas plan, and he basically just shrugs it off. Uh, although this all time, we're also basically learning Sally is enamored with Jack and possibly in love, um, and Jack himself has taken a has a strong liking uh, for Sally as well. Well, as she's is- the only one who knows the real Jack because she was there watching Jack's lament. So yes, that's true. It, she. Besides Zero, she's the only one that actually knows who Jack is. That's true. That's true. And maybe Jack always knew that. Like, the way he says when he's divvying out plans, the way he's like, uh, you are the most important of, for, for my plan because you're going to make the Sandy Claus suit. Uh, so maybe he always knew that uh, he was actually watching, that she was actually watching. So 
Jack's obsession for with Christmas is is gone mad. He he eventually comes to the conclusion that he will be able to imitate Christmas perfectly and that he'll be able to improve upon Christmas by adding a little bit of Halloween to it and announces that they are going to take over Christmas this year. Uh, Also, you hear Jack's obsession during this time where everyone's wondering what the hell is Jack doing uh, up in that? Is he dead? They once again ask, is Jack dead? Uh, Is this skeleton man dead? Yes. Again, listen to yourself. So yeah, he's now rallying the towns and handing out, uh, he's handing out uh, jobs and everything. Tells Dr. Finkelstein he needs to get those skeleton reindeer. Uh, I believe this is uh, where we also then first meet uh, the little conniving children, Lock, Shock, and Beryl. Yes. Uh, who, uh, I believe Paul Rubens is Lock, I believe. Uh, and then who are Shock and Beryl? Uh, are they anyone of note? Uh, great, great proofs is the devil, by the way, and the sax player in this movie. Oh, wow. Of whose line is it anyway? Fame. Yeah. Um, yeah. Paul Rubens is Locke. Oh, Catherine O'Hara is shock. And oh, Danny so Elfman. Plays- and Danny Elfman is Beryl. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So it's, you just have three of the cast plus Paul Rubens, or two of the cast plus Paul Rubens uh, in there. Jack has tasked them with kidnapping Sandy Claus from You Christmas and me and a Pee Wee makes three, you know? <laughs> Thank you. He warns them, though, do not include your master, your overlord, or whatever you call him, Oogie Boogie, in any of the plans. Don't tell him that this is happening. Uh, And, of course, what do they do? They go right off and tell him in the song, Kidnap the Sandy Claws. Um, Another little fiend. This is such a fun little fiendish song with the three of them. I love yeah, the where you got our first sort of peek at Oogie Boogie's lair. I also just it's it's just a great visual gag of them taking off the masks of their own faces, essentially, uh, to reveal their real faces. Yes. Um, it's great stuff. Also, uh we get as if the all the stop motion already was incredible. Now we get a shadow character mixing in with the with the puppets. And it's just so well done. Yeah, the use of, like, actual practical effects in this movie. Shadows, fog, um, things like that, bubbling water, whatever, um, is done so I think I think it's dry ice. It's dry ice, yeah. yeah. It's just, you know. Uh, but to, to intertwine that with actual stop motion is just, like, it's simple things, but it's super effective. It's super effective. We fast forward to Christmas Eve in the song making christmas uh another one i really like uh this is very much in the same vein of this is halloween we're getting sort of a montage of of all of the halloween town patrons um my favorites the vampires who are essentially there this town's version of a barbershop quartet i've realized those vampires (laughs) uh also was it in the town meeting where he pulls out his eyeball and uh yeah something like that also, uh, in, did I, before, did, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. But be- before the song, there's the great moment where they where they kidnap the Easter Bunny. Yes, I was about to say I don't want to skim over the Easter Bunny, uh, where yes, he is once again planning more things, and Lockshock and Barrel have returned. Lockshock and Barrel have returned with the Easter Bunny, uh, yes. who does not speak. And uh, yeah, your favorite, uh, as you said, the the kid who looks like Pugsley. 
Just okay, boom. so yeah, the, the guy with the axe is different than the guy that looks like Pugsley. Yeah. The kid that looks like Pugsley has the eyes stone oh, shut. Oh, oh, and he's kind of he kind of has like a is he like on a unicycle? He looks like a clown. I don't know if he has a unicycle. I, he, I don't he's, think, not, I think, he's not the clown with the tearaway face. No. Okay. No. He he just yeah, has yeah, yeah, he has sewn eyes and he has a striped shirt like Pugsley does. And he kind of has a, a cute little voice too. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 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 I know who you're talking. about. I like him because yeah. he reminds me of the Adams family, and I loved the Adams family when I was yeah, a kid. So. Yeah. So the guy with the accent in his head who says "Bunny" is is different. So. Different guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they take yeah they take him. It's back a lot of puppets. And, it's a lot of puppets in this movie. It's hard to keep track. Yeah. It's very hard to keep track. So yes, they're making Christmas, and we get to Christmas Eve. Meanwhile. Lock, Shock, and Barrel have, in in the midst of all of this, they do indeed kidnap Santa Claus with a little trick-or-treating uh, up at Santa Claus's uh, house in Christmastown. Uh, the voice of Santa is uh, also Ed Ivory, who is the uh, does the intro at the beginning of the movie. He also voices Santa in this movie. So, they return to Halloween Town with Santa in lot. And uh, Santa, dazed and confused, with some candy in his beard, arrives in that little bathtub, that walking bathtub, uh, to absolute shock. Imagine <laughs> being dragged out of your home, and you see a big smiling skeleton face in your face. Ah, take the night off, friend. You're good. It's uh, yeah. This is uh, you know what? He's well intentioned. Jack Skellington, a well intentioned guy. That's, I'll give him that. You know. You don't have claws at all. <laughs> Got tiny little hands, too. And tiny little feet. Tiny ha- little hands, tiny little feet. Old Sandy Claus. Uh, oh. Of course, yeah, he's saying, take the night off. He's completely shocked, because it's Christmas Eve. Why would he take like, the night off? Take the night off on Christmas Eve? Yeah. Also, I like when they're taking him back to Oogie Boogie's lair. Uh, the way... I, w- I wonder what they're using to make the bag move there. It's it's very well yeah. done. It's like bouncing, the way they're bouncing on it. Um, so yes, they take him back. Uh, the basically Jack says, take care of him. And of course they're not going to do that. They're going to take him to Oogie Boogie. Uh, and they stuff him down the little chute. They said, if he can fit in the chimney, he can fit here. They stuff him down. And that is when we get, we truly meet Oogie Boogie for the first time in Oogie Boogie's song. Paul, you're shaking your head. Cause I think we share the same feelings about the song. It kicks ass. It is the best song. It's so in, good. In a list of great songs in this movie, this one is just stop. Oh, the bass, the funkiness of it, it's everything about it is wonderful. It's this jazzy, it's super like jazzy, uh dark and fun and it, it, it feels like uh something that Disney doesn't capture until maybe about 20 years later with Princess and the Frog with Dr. Facilier's some of his songs. Yeah. It's sort of almost voodoo sort of vibe and, and, and jazzy sort of feel. Uh, it's, it's dark jazz, I guess, is what you call it. I don't know if there's a name for it, uh, but it's awesome. And yeah. obviously Ken Page is uh, a Broadway, uh, is a Broadway veteran who is wonderful in this in this role. And we also get... Once again, we talked about all the different ways they're utilizing light. Now we get black light. Oh, it's so cool. And it's just we, so cool. And just the like the like the maggots coming out and going into the Santa Claus's beard. Yeah. And just everything about it. And then you get the skeletons. The the neon skeletons and the neon bats. Everything about the scene is like 
amazing. It's perfect. It is, it is so, like, reflective of this era of Disney, too, of the animation at Disney, where, like, from everything from, obviously, the Disney Renaissance to things like Roger Rabbit to this to eventually Toy Story, where, like, they didn't have to go the extra mile. I mean, it's it's what makes the difference. It's why these movies are still so fondly remembered to this day. But like something that you don't think of, like the little bugs falling into Santa's beard or like, the snake that keeps coming out as his tongue. Right. Like they don't have to do that. Like the movie still would have been great. And the fact that they do all these little things, it all adds up to just create something that, yeah, it's going to go from, hey, that was really great and fun, and I really enjoyed it, to something we're now still watching and talking about, and people have a reverence for uh, almost 30 years later. So, um, it's wonderful. It's it's absolutely awesome. So, Oogie Boogie plans to gamble with Santa's life. Uh, he's not going anywhere. He's He is now essentially Oogie Boogie's prisoner. Sally is still trying to stop Jack. She attempts to by creating thick fog with her fog juice that she keeps in uh, under the floorboards just in case. You never know when you're going to need that fog juice. Never um, know. <laughs> but all the reindeer are ready. Everything is set for Christmas. And luckily, Zero is uh, Jack's Rudolph in this yep. case. He uses his glowing little nose uh, to light the way as he directs the dog to the head of the sleigh. And Jack takes off to deliver his presence. Um, and once again, a reprise of uh, the score doing the What's This Medley. Yes. Melody, excuse me, med Melody is correct. Melody, not medley. Yeah. Medley. Yeah. Uh, as he takes off, Sally, her recurring theme that we've heard finally pays off here as she is now, it's her lament in Sally's song. She has been trying to stop Jack this entire time and it failed. So she walks away and, and just basically, oh, woe is me. I've, everything is going to be ruined. And um, obviously expresses what her true feelings are for Jack and that wishes that he would come go back and, and, and think twice about what he's about to do. Also, I, this is definitely Catherine O'Hara singing it, right? They didn't get like a separate singer for it. Yep, it's Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, the, the voice fits so perfectly for the song of this just like yeah it's it just it just totally fits in with the, exactly the mood the song is trying to set like it almost would have not been the same if they had gotten like a professional singer to do it uh to have someone who is clearly an actor first but obviously she holds her own like she can hold the tune um but i think that that gives it the emotional punch that I don't think it would have had it had with like a, a maybe a more professional singer, I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, because she's supposed to be kind of this unconfident, not very confident figure at this point, yeah. too. So, you know, sometimes when you when you have a character like that, having them belt out a number is very like counteractive yeah. to what you're trying right. to say. Yeah. Counterproductive. Yeah, absolutely. Jack Skellington has gone off. He is now old Sandy Claus and given him the night off. He is off around the world trying to spread his Christmas terror, uh, delivering terrifying presents with horrifying results. Uh, he oh, And uh, as I just love he's going to each house. He all screams like, ah, they loved it. Uh, the montage of the presents 
is really funny. Uh, specifically, there's one shot when when you see like all the presents are now dropped off. The shot that kills me every time is the snake eating the Christmas tree. Yes. <laughs> and the child just screaming motionless. It's completely helpless as it's just, just chewing away at it. It's so, so funny. Also, this is where we see that uh, besides when it comes to regular people, not mythical people like Santa Claus, they peanuts it. All the adults, you don't see their faces, but yeah, you see the children's true. faces. Yeah, that's true. I never really thought about that. They they totally do the Charlie Brown thing. Yeah, yeah. you don't see any of their parents. Even the policeman who rides by, his, vo- his face is sort of covered in darkness. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, it, the kids' reactions are so funny. Uh, like, yeah, it's everything's great. Everything's absolutely wonderful about it. Uh, a warning is put out over the radio that San- a Santa Claus impersonator uh, is terrorizing the city. Of course, everybody in Halloween Town is watching, and they're loving it, loving every minute of it, uh, because they think it's a success. Meanwhile, uh, Sally is off to save Santa Claus, who she's found out has been captured by Oogie Boogie, tries to lure Oogie Boogie with her leg hanging out of the gate. Uh, it works, but uh, yeah, eventually he, he finds out that yeah she's in on it too, and she has also been captured. We go back to uh, Christmas time and to Jack. Uh, now the military has been called <laughs> to action. Also, this is a bleed over from. Uh, oh, those are just regular cops. They just have bazookas because they wanted to make it as realistic as possible. Good anyway, um, I do love the part where Jack's like, careful, you actually almost hit me. As if like <laughs> he thinks that they're like cheering, like they're setting off bombs like fireworks. Yeah, they're setting off fireworks praise. is what he thinks at first. Yeah, in praise of yeah. him. Uh, also, it, it, uh, this was you could tell it was written in the 80s because suddenly the government becomes the bad guys. Uh, like in every good 80s movie, in every yep. 80s story, the government, bad. Uh, yep. So, yeah, the military is shooting him down and they are eventually successful as, of course, then he's thrown off his sled and says Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night as he falls to what the citizens of Halloween Town believe is his demise. Um he wakes up in a graveyard and, uh, I mean, wakes up like, could they just perfectly place the way he fell into the arms of the angel Yes, uh, in that graveyard. Well, Jack's kind of a dramatic little bitch, you know? He's, he's very dramatic. Very, very much so. Uh, he wakes up and in his song, Poor Jack, which, again, dramatic, a little self, uh, yeah, just saw this like... You know, sulking around. Oh, poor me. I screwed up. No one likes me. No one likes my Christmas. Yeah. Me. I am Jack, and I need Prozac. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So he sings a song about how no one appreciated the Christmas I gave them. Basically. In a way, he doesn't think he did anything wrong. Oh, no, of course not. Um, but also, <laughs> that low note. Yes. In this song, poor Jack. Very good. Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. I just came to realize he is the hero of the story. You know, he's our protagonist. He never really comes to terms. I mean, he, he realizes, hey, I'm better at this Halloween thing. But he also was like, hey, you know what? Maybe it was maybe people didn't like it, but I had a good time. 
So who cares? I had a great time. Who cares if the children are now scarred for life? Because yeah. old Jack here had fun. Yeah, he's like, you know what? Who cares if you want to see the Haunted Mansion? You're going to see the Haunted Mansion Halloween Town version Look, or whatever. Maybe I'm better when it's Christmas time, but hey, Haunted Mansion during Halloween, didn't we have fun? Yeah. Good time, wasn't it? Because I'm the Pumpkin King, baby. And don't you well, forget this, it. it. It's a movie about accepting who you are, and that's what he's doing. He's accepting the fact that he is the Pumpkin King. Yes, and he has. And look, he's not going to do it again, I guess. So I guess he learned that lesson. But yeah, the fact that he's still just like, boy, the what memories we had, what memories we shared, what a good time we had. I'd do it all again if I could. Anyway, he does eventually realize that I guess he he needs to go back to Chris to Halloween Town and fix everything. He needs to fix Christmas. He screwed it up. He needs to go get Santa Claus and get everything back in order. Uh, tears off the Santa suit, declares himself the Pumpkin King again. And uh, very convenient entrance. And I'm also thinking, does every graveyard have an entrance to Halloween Town? Is that what we're to assume by what Ooh. he does there? Because there's no way it was just like, oh, how convenient. I fell into this graveyard, the entrance of Halloween Town. Yeah, maybe. It has to. In turn, does every... I was going to say, does every like forest have... But no, because then there was also Thanksgiving and Easter there. So no. So yeah, I don't know what how exactly. And and are those areas on Earth like, or are they sort of a different? Uh, you know, like are you maybe being from, transported maybe to from from Earth? It has can, to be. It has to be because Santa eventually flies over Halloween Town at the end. Okay. So these are essentially like they're transporting you, but they are just zapping you to some different area of earth i'd imagine i was gonna say you can only break into halloween town from from a from a graveyard and then maybe christmas you can only do it through a chimney maybe i don't know we're putting a lot of thought into the into the world building of this but (laughs) I don't know. Like the only other like parallel I could think of is like, is this like in Mario sixty four, like jumping through the painting and like, it, 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 even now that I'm thinking of that, like where where are those worlds? Yeah, they're sort of these little isolated islands, but like where are they? Shit, yeah. my whole childhood is crumbling right now. Hmm. <laughs> With this and <laughs> thinking of the, the logic of Mario sixty four levels. Yeah, it's too much. Okay, we need to we need to move on before my my brain melts. Um, Jack gets back to Halloween Town, uh, goes to Oogie Boogie's lair. Uh, nice battle as uh, he's about to kill Santa and Sally. But Cody, the fact that they now are like, okay, well now we're gonna have spinning knives that are going the entire time while he's dodging them, and then there's then there's guns firing, and then there's mm-hmm. this, there's a a saw blade going like yeah they. And the whole time they're on a rotating roulette wheel that's spinning the entire time. And there's they really bu- are like, bubbling lava in the middle. Yeah. They're like, how difficult can we make this for ourselves? <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. They, again, didn't need to do that. They could have cut out two or three things. It'd be fine. But And then we get the most horrific element, which is when Oogie Boogie is revealed as literally a just a pile of, of bugs. A big old pile of bugs. Gross. <laughs> Uh, it is gross. It, it to this day that is a gross reveal. It it's is kind vile. of it's <laughs> one again another one where you're like holy shit they're all moving. 
Like that's wild. Yeah. They're all moving, and it's also fucking disgusting. Uh, it's yes, and he's literally melting like the Wicked Witch. But instead, it's a bunch of bugs falling on the ground and falling into the lava to see a little pile of burnt bugs in there. And of course, he crushes the last one uh, as he has now saved the day. And uh, Oogie Boogie is gone. Jack apologizes to Santa. Santa seems pissed rightfully so as he's like and i love what he said also santa kind of a dick thing are all of the heads of holidays kind of dicks because he's like will you be able to fix christmas he goes will i be able to save christmas of course i'm santa claus and then gone like get out of my life i'm done with you i'm santa i'm too good for this this is essentially what he's saying but he apologizes, and uh, Santa goes off to, fi- to fix Christmas. Jack confronts Sally, basically says, you were right, I was wrong, and uh, they realize sort of their, their feelings for uh, each other as uh, Lock, Shock, and Barrel now, who are totally exonerated, apparently, uh, are with the mayor, and uh, uh, they find Jack in Oogie Boogie's lair. Uh, we go back to Halloween Town. Santa, we see him flying overhead as we hear the finale, which is a great... Like, I forgot the finale's awesome because, like, we're literally hearing so perfectly interwoven, like, every song of the movie. Yeah. It's seamlessly as as yeah. we're hitting these little beats in this finale. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's so weird because they kind of do what traditionally would be the first act closer, like, as a finale. Which makes sense because this movie is only 76 minutes long. Yep. Which, the fact that they put they pack this much into it, this much memorable shit, and it runs an hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah, is anybody who is like that's anybody who's like my movie needs to be three and a half hours long. I would be like, go watch the Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, seventy six minutes. One of the most memorable movies of all time. With memorable characters yeah. and Don't dialogue tell me and songs. Transformers 6 needs to be three hours and 15 minutes. No. Doesn't need to be. Yeah, Santa flies overhead. He says, Happy Halloween. Uh, Jack responds with Merry Christmas. As snow falls onto Halloween Town, they sing What's This? Um, they begin playing in the snow. I love, uh, I think your favorite character gets rolled in the snow. Uh, at one point to a big old snowball. It's great. Yep. It's wonderful. Uh, and that's, of course, then when we see, once again, another just beautiful moment where we're back in that little spiral hill. Sally climbs to the top and sits at the top of it. Jack sings uh, in the same style, in the same melody of uh, Sally's song and joins her at the top as they sing to each other and they realize they are meant to be together. They embrace and then Zero looks on. He flies up into the sky and transforms into a star as the film comes to a close. Wonderful. Just wonderful. It's just wonderful. It's such a, it, it, again, 76 minutes, everybody. It's all this movie. Our, Paul, our podcast was longer than this movie. Oh, yeah, by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. That's the legacy of this movie. It's it's one of the few where, like, we're going to totally outpace the movie here. But it's, yeah, it, it, it is a movie that has uh, is, is certainly built a life and, and of its own throughout the years, and rightfully so. It's one of the movies where a lot of times you go back and you say, I haven't watched this in a while. I wonder how well this holds up. And this does. 
And that's really hard. Every time. That's really Every hard. Time it does. Yeah. Yeah. And I am glad that, you know, about uh, at, at the... Uh, young age the the young age of uh 16 i finally decided i'm finally brave enough to watch this movie because it's 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 you know it's i was glad i was able to face my fears that's uh, such a such so a early on boy. in life i was such so a brave, brave. you know i got my driver's license and i overcame my fear of jack skellington in the same year such a brave a, boy it was a big year it was a big big year that's gonna do it for us hey we're available on uh basically all podcast formats now if you want to listen to us on google Podcasts, spotify we are there also of course apple podcasts as well whatever your preferred podcast listening uh, app is we're probably there also uh make sure to go to our website moviemusicalpod.com follow us on twitter at moviemusicalpod and on facebook same place you can follow me on twitter at cody pasby I'm at the Paul Ponte, also at paulponte.com for my other podcast projects, photography, and music. And until we are going to be making podcasts, it's ours this time. It's podcasts this time. Eh, that wasn't that great. I'm Cody Pasby. <laughs> I'm Paul Ponte. And we'll see you down the yellow brick road. 